questions and answers. In the scriptures, we hear of many valiant men who have gone through tremendous testing. However, none more than Job. Loss of property, family, and depletion of health brought him to his knees, but his faith was in an ever-present and all-knowing God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, let's tune in as Pat starts a three-part study into the life of Job. You won't want to miss any part of this fascinating study. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now with part two of Message One is our host, Pat Zucran. So I started talking a little bit about terrorism and just war. Meanwhile, trying to get back to this girl who we're, we're getting to the gospel and trying to hold this guy off. And he said, you'll never forget. He said, he'll never forget. You know, the U.S. bullies people around the world. They exercise their power. They're bullies. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, hang on, hang on. And so we, I started talking the difference between terrorism and just war and kept trying to hold him off. And then he would jump in. And obviously, he wanted this thing to go political. And this girl was sitting here waiting to hear the gospel. And I wanted to say, beat it, man. Get out of here. Whatever. But I was trying to be nice to him. So I'm trying to hold this guy off. And I'm trying to get to this girl. And meanwhile, he keeps jumping in. And then in a very nice way, she kind of smiles at me. And she says, hey, this, this is great. Thank you very much. You know, and she you know, picked up her things and left. And I looked over at this guy, like really upset. And then he found out that, you know, I had a Japanese background. And in that country... You know, Japan had committed several atrocities in the war. So you want to talk about Japanese? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about Japan. You know, he goes, who would you want to win the war? America or Japan? You know, well, guess I'm American. And, you know, eventually, obviously, he just, he didn't want to listen. I don't know why he came to talk to us. Uh, eventually, you know, he got up and went on his way. But I was really frustrated and upset. And later on that night, I was talking to the team and sharing them the experience that had happened, how Mr. Satan had come in here. And they looked at me and they said, Pat, that's spiritual warfare. That is spiritual warfare. Now, I'm not saying that guy is Satan, but the devil used him to veer me away from sharing the gospel and having an opportunity to lead this girl to Christ, all right, and created that diversion there. And it just hit me square in the face. And she said, that's spiritual warfare. And he said, hey, we got to pray up a lot more before we go out there each day. And it just hit me, the reality of the spiritual warfare that is around us, waged against us, our family, our church, and those we love from a tremendously powerful enemy force that seeks our utter destruction. So the life application we learn is this. Number one, believers in Christ, we must be aware of the spiritual war that is always around us, waged by an incredibly powerful foe that seeks not to cripple us, but to absolutely destroy us. Therefore, we need to pray individually, but also to have a group of people committed praying for us and our children always. I'm glad that Gary shared about praying for our college students. Boy, is there ever a time they are assaulted. They're on the university campus. And whenever 
we go and do ministry around the world. There's a team of committed people I always ask to be in prayer. And that's what we need constantly around us. So God allows Satan to test Job, and Satan unleashes a furious assault on poor Job, who, remember, is completely unaware of what's going on. All that Job knows, and look at his perspective carefully, all he knows is, I have been serving God and walking with God faithfully. All right? That's all that he knows. Suddenly, all of this calamity comes upon him. In verse 13, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants and with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another who said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are all dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Talk about a bad day. The Sabians, a nomadic people, from the southwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula, okay? This is the present-day Yemen. They come up, and they raided Job's territory here, destroying his business. Then the Chaldeans, right? These are the forerunners to the Babylonians, okay? So they're from the Mesopotamia area, the modern-day Iraq. They're a nomadic group at this time. And they come and decimate Job's property and his business. So in an instant, just in one day, it's like the stock market completely crashing. In an instant, he goes from being the richest sheik in all the Middle East to becoming a poor pauper. Third, a great wind demolishes the home in which Job's children were abiding in, and instantly now, he is childless. So he has lost all of his entire business, and he has lost his family all in one day. Talk about a really, really bad day. And his response is absolutely remarkable. It is absolutely phenomenal. It, his response here is perhaps one of the greatest statements of faith in all of the entire Bible. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. After that happening to you, how many of you would say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I probably would not. But Job acknowledged God's sovereignty and rulership over all of life, over the good and the bad. He acknowledges all good things come from God, and he has the right to take it away. And even in his sorrow, he blessed and praised the name of the Lord. And his response proves Satan's allegations is completely false. Well, if that weren't enough, Satan comes back again. 
And it says here, And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves to the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself to the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro about the earth, and from walking up and down upon it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. God is saying that without reason, there's really no sin that Job committed that he deserved what he got. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery, which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So, in the first test, Job completely loses all of his property. His business, his livelihood, and his family is gone. And that's the first test. Will he curse God or will he not? And Job does not curse God. Well, the second one is a little more intense. Satan says, you've put a hedge of protection around him. Take away his health. He'll curse you to your face. Satan inflicts Job with the worst kind of boils over his entire body. And the second temptation to curse God is even more intense because it comes from his wife. Now, we can't really blame her, all right? She has lost all of her children. She has seen... Her husband, devastated and just a shell of a man of what he was in complete sickness now with boils covering his entire body. And so she's the source of the second temptation to curse God. And she says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? She implores him, curse God and die. All right, that's a very strong, urgent request she is making to Job there. All right, curse God. And die. It's a powerful temptation. For men, there's nothing more powerful all right, than the words and exhortation that comes from your wives, whether good or bad. You know, and I remember when I lived in Dallas, a good friend of mine called me up in the middle of the night, like three in the morning. He said, Pat, can I come over right now? I said, absolutely. What's going on? He goes, I'm bringing, I'm bringing something with me. I need to leave with you. So I said, sure, okay. And so he came over that night, and we met for months, and I had been, we had been in prayer together with this Christian man running business a Christian way. His business was going under, all right? He was losing it all. And he took out from his bag, he said, I need you to hold on to this. It was a gun, fully loaded. And I said, uh, John, something I should know about here? He goes, well, my wife loaded the gun, and she put it on the table and said, shoot yourself, you worthless guy. Here you go and put it right on the desk. He said, Pat, I came that close to shooting myself. I said, leave the gun with me, all right? So I said, sure thing, John, you got it. He left it with me, and we talked for a little while, and eventually he returned home, right? But those words must have been absolutely powerful, coming from his wife saying, hey, it's over. How bad can it be? Curse God and die. 
And Job's response is even more remarkable than the first. It says to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. And the word for foolish there is Nabal. Job's remarkable faith is expressed in not only accepting the good, but trusting God even in the difficult times. And, and he says here, shall we receive good from God? Shall we not also receive evil? Now the word receive or accept there, kibel, describes an active positive participation in what God decrees. Not a passive acceptance. Oh, it happened. Oh, okay, well, I guess I'll accept it. No, it's an active acceptance that says, this is from the Lord. All right. And to deal with it in a godly way. And Job's total submission and the maturity of his faith is revealed in how he responds. He says, I'm not only going to receive blessings from God, but if the difficult times come, all right. And I'm not going to complain and hold it against God, but trust him. Even though I have no clue why this happened or what is going on. So his remarkable faith is expressed in not only accepting the good, but trusting God even in the bad times. And that's the sign of mature faith. And one of the lessons we learn is that the righteous are not immune from the suffering and tragedy that occurs in this fallen world. There is a very dangerous myth out there that says, if I walk with God, nothing bad will happen to me. If I walk with God, I won't suffer terminal illness. My children will turn out great. However, that's not how the world works. That's where Job shatters that kind of false thinking. Just because you raise your children in a godly way doesn't mean they may not grow up and go the other way. You can do a lot of things right in this fallen world and things still not come out the way you expect. There's that dangerous myth that says, man, if I walk with God, I'm going to be immune from the suffering and tragedy that occurs around here. And if it does happen, it must mean I've sinned or something. But look throughout the Bible, all the men and women of God, all of them, you won't be able to name me an exception, suffered tremendously and went through incredible trials and through that learned to trust God. But this myth that says, man, if I walk with God, nothing bad's going to happen to me, that's the basis for much immature Christians whose faith falters when difficulties arise. The righteous respond in a way that is different from those who do not have God. The people of God of mature faith can face tragedy, yet their sense of hope is not extinguished. And there's even an abiding joy and deep trust in God, even in those difficult times, knowing that he's in control of all things, orchestrating things in a way we may not see or understand in this lifetime orchestrating things behind the scenes to bring about his purpose, which is always for our good and his glory. Dr. Warren Wiersbe states this, faith is living without scheming. It's obeying God in spite of feelings, circumstances, or consequences, knowing that he is working out his perfect plan in his way and in his time. That's the difference between those of immature faith and those of mature faith. Those of immature faith shake their fist in God and say, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Those of mature faith come to a point where they can say, good or bad, I'm going to trust you and walk with you no matter what. You know, one of the great 
and most wonderful hymns that we sang this morning is that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And it's even more powerful when you understand the story behind that hymn. It was written by this man here, Horatio Spafford, in the 1800s. Horatio had established a very successful legal practice as a young businessman, and he was also a very devout believer in Christ. And among his close friends was the famous evangelist, Dwight L. Moody. Spafford's fortune evaporated overnight in the wake of the great Chicago fire in 1871. Having invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan shoreline, he lost it all overnight. But shortly before this business disaster, his only son had died. But you think that's bad. The worst was yet to come. Desiring rest for his wife and his four daughters, as well as wishing to join the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody and his musician Ira Sankey in one of their evangelistic crusades throughout England, Spafford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. So on that cold November eve, due to an unexpected last-minute business developments, he had to remain behind in Chicago, but sent his wife and four daughters ahead over there to England. Well, on November 22nd, their ship was struck by the Lockhearn, an English vessel, and the ship sank in only 12 minutes. Spafford's wife and children floated on the wreckage in the cold Atlantic waters, waiting for help to arrive. However, help would not arrive for several hours. And as they floated for hours, waiting for help, each daughter began losing their strength to the cold and dehydration. And one by one, this mother had to watch a child sink into the cold, dark Atlantic. Spafford's wife alone survived, and several days later, she, along with the rest of the survivors, finally landed in Cardiff, Wales. And she cabled her husband who was desperately waiting for a message. And she cabled only these two words, saved, alone. So Spafford left immediately to join his wife, and he got on a ship, and they took the same route. And as he approached the area of the ocean where their ship went down carrying his daughters, the ship was at the bottom of the ocean, perhaps with the bodies of his family, it is there, at that moment, he penned the immortal words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's a man of remarkable, mature faith in God. The immature says, shakes their fist at God and says, I don't understand. You did me wrong, God. But the mature trust, even when they don't understand. And it's at those times, can we say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And can we say with Spafford, it is well with my soul. In those deep, dark moments, and you may be in that tunnel of despair now, that Job has entered into. I don't know if you have recently gone through a divorce or the death of a child, the loss of a job, or a child gone in, in rebellion, or whatever it may be, when you find yourself in that dark tunnel. 
our first reaction is to shake our fists in God and say, hey, I don't deserve this. Or to demand an answer from God and say, hey, what's the reason for this? And you better have a good reason, God. It better be a really good one. It better satisfy me because I don't deserve, I deserve better. Instead, we need to stop demanding. And instead, those are times we need to trust. When you find yourself in that dark tunnel of despair, I'm sure some of you have been there. I was in that dark tunnel. I didn't know if I was coming out. It took about five, six years for me to come out of that tunnel. The first step to coming out is to choose to trust him, even when we don't understand, knowing he is at work. He has not abandoned us. He's working somehow behind the scenes in ways we don't see or understand bringing about his purpose for his glory and always for our good. So it's in those times you have got to trust him more than ever. And when you can say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, that's when you're going to start to come out of that dark, dark tunnel of despair. Unless you get there, that's where you're going to stay. Well, just because we have faith in Christ, just because... We know that God is with us. Doesn't take the pain away, does it? Those are the dark valleys and those tunnels we have to go through. And here we see Job has now entered into that dark tunnel of despair. And it says here, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, Zophar, the Damathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. Imagine Job's friends coming to his property, this vast, vast property of wheat fields and sheep that would graze on the horizons, and oxen plowing the fields, and hundreds of servants running around. They come now, and everything is black and burned, and it looks like the surface of the moon or something. And so that's why it says, even though they were in a distance, they could see the devastation and ruin of the land, and that Job was already not even recognizable. And already, as soon as they saw it, they tore their clothes and put dust upon their heads and mourned and sat in silence for seven days with Job, representing the intensity of the sorrow that is there. Just because we have faith in Christ, just because we know God's word, doesn't mean we don't suffer from hardship and sadness and depression. You know, there's a dangerous teaching out there that, I often hear on the radio, says, if you're depressed, you're in sin. If you're depressed, you're not walking with God. Don't tell me Job was not depressed. Jesus was called what? Man of sorrows. Jeremiah was called what? The weeping prophet. And if your husband dies, I hope you're not happy. <laughs> I, hope you, I hope you're depressed. I hope you're sad. Okay, something's wrong, all right? If tragedy happens in your life, and you're not suffering from sadness or or depression. And here Job is in that dark tunnel of despair, all right? And we all go through those dark tunnels in life. Many times it may look as if we're never coming out. But when all hope seems lost, 
When we're in that dark tunnel of despair, you know, how do we find our way out? Well, Job's going to teach us. Right now, we're out of time. So you're going to have to come back and discover the valuable principles that will help us make our way out of those dark tunnels of despair we have all faced or one day will go through. We're going to learn some real valuable principles. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the valuable lessons we learned from the book of Job. We pray that it will challenge our hearts and minds and our thinking. And if there is false thinking that is in there, that we would be challenged and open to the truth that Job will challenge us to. May the remarkable principles of this wonderful story enlighten us and strengthen us. And if there are those who are going through those dark tunnels of despair now, may this message and the example of Job strengthen their hearts and bring them encouragement and hope and even joy at this time in their life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this exciting show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah.